Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. the last week of looking at the Lord's Prayer. We, we decided a little, whiles ago, a, w- a little while ago to start saying the Lord's Prayer at the end of our gatherings every time. And just like anything in life, when you do something repetitively over and over again, you can start to, to just lose the meaning of it. It's just like anything. Did you guys know that most car accidents happen within a mile of your home? And the reason why is because you guys know, you know those roads so well, when you start driving home, sometimes you go into autopilot mentally, right? Have you ever done the thing where you're driving home and then you made it home and you're thinking, I don't even remember the last five minutes. Like, I don't even remember, was I even looking at the road? You know, I mean, it's, it's a little freaky, but you go into autopilot because you just, those are so familiar. Just, you just kind of lose the essence of it. And I never want that to happen to us as we continue to say the Lord's Prayer every time we gather. So we thought we would just take a few weeks and just dig into this, into this, this ancient prayer. One of the most famous things that Jesus said, in fact, probably the most famous thing, if you just asked anybody who doesn't even know about church, probably they could maybe even say parts of the Lord's prayer by heart, even if they don't even believe in the Bible, even if they haven't even been to church. It's just so, it's been around for so long. It's pervasive. We've heard it and it can easily just become normal. It can easily just become blah. And so let's not let the Lord's prayer ever in our hearts become blah. Let's, 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 uh, let's, let's make sure that it always has life to it. So that's what we're doing. And I just want to take us to the very last part of the prayer together. Remember, this is what we've said all these weeks is that this prayer isn't a formula. It's formational. It's not a formula. It's not just something that Jesus wanted us just to recite just because, oh, I'm just supposed to recite it. No, it's not just a, it's not a formula, but it is deeply formational. Just like anything, when you do something repetitively, it it forms you. And so as we say this over and over again, let it form us, church. Hey, church, let it form us. These words are so powerful. And if we could be formed by these words, oh, imagine if every Christian on the planet could just be deeply formed by these words. Oh, it would push out hypocritical religion. It would push out vague spirituality. It would push out just like some of the things that the world looks at Christians and says, man, I don't know about those guys. If we could just let let the Lord's prayer form us and shape us. Oh, what a beautiful thing that that would create on our planet. So let me read it to you. Um, And and, uh, I'm gonna read one verse past the Lord's prayer. And it's maybe a verse that sometimes we stop right there and we forget that there's this one last verse after the Lord's prayer that actually has something really powerful to do with the Lord's Prayer. So let me read it to you. This is from Matthew chapter six, starting in verse nine. It says this, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. And then here's this last verse. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's in there. It's right there. Uh, okay, a couple things. I'm going to work backwards, all right? I'm going to work at the end and kind of like work our way towards the middle. Um, did you notice that there's like this little phrase in there that was missing from that verse? Did, did you recognize that? Remember, when we say it all together, we, add, we have this last part. It goes, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember that part? So the reason why it's not in here, and this might surprise some of you, and the first time I saw this years ago, it surprised me, um, that not every translation has that little line in, in your Bible. In fact, in probably most of your Bibles, if you open it up, there's going to be a footnote there. And, there's gonna, and the footnote is going to say, hey, that little phrase in there isn't, isn't found in some of our earliest manuscripts that we have of, of, of the, the Gospel of Matthew. And so because it's not in those earliest manuscripts, it was added later into some later manuscripts. And so, and so for many of us, we learned that prayer and memorized it with that little phrase in there. And for some of us, maybe you didn't have that little phrase in there. It's, it's kind of like the crescendo, you know, of the, of the prayer. And um, so we're not actually sure if Jesus said those words. Don't let that freak you out, Okay. Um, maybe he did, but it's not in the earliest manuscript. So a lot of scholars just believe that that was added later. <laughs> and the reason why maybe it was added later is because Jesus ends this prayer kind of like on a, like it's very abrupt. It just, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, moving on. It's like when you go to a movie and you're, like, and you're just into it and like, oh, what's going to happen? And then credits roll. And you're like, what? No, there's more to the story. I think probably some, some scribes later or some people who were, you know, they were like, man, Jesus's prayer ends abruptly. Let's add like a really awesome ending to the prayer. <laughs> and so maybe that's perhaps what happened. But listen, it, it, whether, whether we, we, we recite that part of the prayer or not, I mean, I, I don't think it matters too much in the sense that those words are powerful. It's con 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 completely in line and consistent with the rest of the Lord's prayer. And so as we say it as a church, we're gonna continue to say that last part because it really does give the last part of the prayer, a little bit of a oomph, you know? Um, so that's why it doesn't show up um, in, in the scripture that I read that I read here. And you're, like I said, your Bible has a little footnote that says that. Um, but I want to talk about the, 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 let's work on our way sort of from the end to the back. So the next part of verse 13, and he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, protect me from temptation. I think all of us could pray that prayer just with a lot of gusto. Lord, help me not to slide into things that I don't want to slide. And Lord, would you protect me from evil? Would you protect my mind? Would you protect my heart from those things? And I was reading up, uh, you know, those, those are powerful things for us to pray. I was reading up about this and like, oh, is there anything like else that I could share with our church or anything that I haven't learned yet about that phrase? And I bumped into one thing. I was reading a book by N.T. Wright on this, on the Lord's Prayer. And here's what he says. He says that, that not only is it a, a prayer for, for help and protection, but also that we can pray this prayer, this part of the prayer with tons of confidence because Jesus got tested and passed the test on our behalf. And Jesus took the full brunt of evil 
on himself for us on our behalf. So even though we're, so it's like two things are happening when we pray that part. We're asking for provision, we're asking for help, we're asking for protection, Lord, protect me, protect my heart. But also we can pray it also with like this, this future confidence that we know that Jesus has already passed the test and he's already confronted evil for us. And so, um, and so we're already victorious because we are in Christ. This is what N.T. Wright says. He says, the great tribulation, the birth pangs of the new age, the moment of horror and deep darkness coming swiftly towards Jesus. Says, and in his own moment of agony, he fears with good reason that the whirlpool of evil, which is about to engulf him, will suck down his close followers as well. Jesus knows that he must go solo and unaided into the whirlpool so that it may exhaust its force on him and let the rest of the world go free. The rest of us are therefore commanded to pray that commanded to pray that we may be delivered from the power of evil and we can pray that prayer with confidence precisely because Jesus has met the power um, has met that power and has defeated it once and for all. Here's this next part, uh, verse 12, and forgive us our debts. And this is, this is heavy, guys. We, in fact, we did a whole sermon series on forgiveness. And so I wish I could just dive into this and press into this tonight, but we've done, we've done whole talks on this. Forgiveness is complicated. I know it's, it just seems like, oh, just forgive. And even right here, it's just gonna seem like it's, oh, just forgive. And we've talked about how complicated this can be, the wounds that we carry, just what forgiveness means and what forgiveness doesn't mean. So we can't get into all that tonight, but listen to what, Listen to what this says. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And if that wasn't enough, then there's like the throat punch at the end where Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. This is heavy. This is intense. This gets us right here because forgiveness is a hard thing. And I know that all of us, probably all of us in this room, there's, there's something. There's something that we maybe are, all, every single one of us are holding on to. Some unforgiveness. Unforgiveness from the past. Somebody's done something to us and we just like, you know, we, we, we want God to have grace for me and my sins, but when people hurt us, then suddenly we want, we just, all we want is justice. God, give, don't give me justice, give me grace, but other people that hurt me, man, oh, justice. Go get them, God. Don't get me, get them. And we, we play this game. And one of the things that we forget is that our relationship with God is, is, is lived out and authenticated and, and sort of validated by our relationships around us. That we have a vertical relationship with our heavenly father and then we have these lateral relationships with each other. And sometimes what Christians have done and what probably you have done and what I've done, but certainly what the world has seen us do many times and it's caused people to have just this, just this ugly view of what Christians are all about is what we have a tendency to do is we, t- we have this vertical relationship with God and we don't let it spill out into our lateral relationships with each other. This is a problem. This is anti-gospel. This is the, the gospel is supposed to be like, I have a relationship with God. He flows grace to me, which is incredible. It's his amazing grace. And therefore, how dare I hold on to that grace? No, I now let it flow through me out to everyone else. 
Christianity is not just a vertical thing. Just, you know, you, it, there's, all other ver- there's tons of other verses that we could go to tonight about how God says, hey, don't let it be just like, hey, you know, d- you know Jesus says, uh, the, or the scripture says, you know, you could have like, you think you have a great relationship with me vertically, but if it's not going out to people around you, then, then you're kidding yourself about the relationship here. That it's this relationship that then spills out on other relationships. Sometimes we forget that. And this verse is just nailing it so close to home. He says, and we're supposed to pray. And this is supposed to be, remember, not a formula. It's formative. It's like we're saying, Lord, forgive, and, and Lord, forgive us our debts as I forgive my debtors. As I am actively trying to cancel debts and figure out what it looks like for me to forgive others. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but our culture right now is a mess. I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture right now is really good at creating enemies. Social media right now is just really good at creating enemies. Everything that happened in 2020 and continuing happened in 2021, now just spilling over into into, you know, vaccination conversations and, you know, people getting let go and, you know, masks and no mask and all the stuff. Guys, the world out there is so good, so good at just creating fault lines and enemies, people just pointing fingers at each other, tearing at each other's throats. And guys, my question to us tonight is this, where is the alternative community to that stuff? The church is supposed to be an alternative community to that kind of dog-eat-dog sort of stuff. The church is supposed to be an alternative place where, we are, where we're a contrast culture, where we're, a, where we're a, a culture that we do it differently. That while the, while the world is so good at creating enemies, at pointing fingers and hurting one another, that here in our church, in our family together, as we follow Jesus, here it's supposed to be supposed to be different. That here we don't hold on to it and just let it fester and then we just start gossiping and then we're just pointing fingers. No, here, here we let that prayer go deep into our hearts. Jesus, forgive my debts as I forgive those that have sinned against me. Lord, forgive me my sins and Lord, please do that. But Lord, would you give me the power and the strength to be able to forgive when people sin? against me. I don't know what you're holding on to tonight. But guys, I've been pastoring our church through a pandemic and I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I still don't know how to do it necessarily, but can I just be really honest with you for a moment? I mean, there's people that haven't come back to church because they're mad at what people posted on social media last year. And they've told me, I don't want to come back because I'm going to have to see that person. And they posted something about, you know, it was political and I didn't like it. And so I don't, I just can't come back to church because I know I'm just, I'm probably going to see that person. And so I don't want to come back. And I say, gosh, well then, if we can't, if we can't reconcile, if we can't forgive, then what do we have to offer the world? What do we have to offer the world? 
if we can't do the heavy lifting and the hard work of forgiving one another, of saying, hey, that hurt me, but Jesus pursued us. Jesus pursued relationship with us, and so I want to pursue relationship with you. Those are hard conversations, aren't they? Somebody give me an amen. Yeah, those are hard conversations. Nobody wants to have those, and so guess what? People don't. And it's easier to go to another church than to have that hard conversation. It's just easier. What if, what if we were an alternative, an alternative to the rest of the world? What if we could forgive one another? This is a formative prayer. This is a dangerous prayer. Lord, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. That got real. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to tell you that story, but um, we get to be different, church. Um, lastly, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. This is where I want to, where I want to land. This is, this is, this, this prayer right here, give us today our daily bread is practical and it's metaphorical. Um, I'll tell you one of my favorite things about the pandemic. Um, there was, there were some good things, you know, we had some, we all had some good time with our family when we were all locked down. Um, but my favorite thing maybe about the pandemic is besides, okay, sorry, besides like all the discipleship that happened in my heart, cause there was a lot, but my wife learned how to do the sourdough bread during, during the pandemic, like really dialed in the sourdough starter. Like we have fresh baked bread like three times a week at our house now. And guys, it is glorious. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. It's so good. She has dialed it in. And we just like that, isn't there, there's like not a lot of things better than fresh baked bread, right? Just like the smell. And I'm just like, and I just feel really sorry for all the gluten-free people out there. You know, like we'll pray for you after service, you know, just come on down. You know, I mean, uh, we we, we have gluten-free options for communion, by the way, just because, you know, there's a lot of gluten-free people. But I just don't think I could be gluten-free. Like, I just don't think I could do it. I think I would go home to Jesus first. Um, (laughs) Because I just love bread. It is so, so good. And Jesus says, and Jesus says, wait, when you pray, pray this way. And he says, give us today our daily bread. A couple things. Um, you know, first, there's that interesting thing that it says daily bread. And you read that and you're like, man, why does it have to be daily bread? Because if I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to pick up bread for like a few weeks. You know, I'm going to load up on the bread. Um, we're going to put some in the freezer and freeze it because we always just have to have bread. Why does, why does Jesus say, give us today our daily bread? And for many of us, we've heard this before, and certainly the Jewish people that Jesus was talking to, there are these Jewish roots of like, they would understand the manna that came down from heaven when the Israelites were, were uh, moving out of Egypt and you know, God was gonna provide for their needs. And, and so the, the manna, this, this bread came and you know, just kind of this crazy thing, just this crazy thing that God provided for them. And they would go out, but it, they could only just provide for that or gather for that day, except for the day before the Sabbath. And so they would, they would uh, gather a double portion for, the day before the Sabbath, but it was just like this daily thing. Well, how come, why, why does it have to be daily bread? You think that God would be like, hey, here's like, here's a month's worth, you know? I mean, part of it is because they didn't have refrigerators, right? So they couldn't preserve it. So that makes sense. But for us today, I mean, what is it, what should the, the takeaway be today for daily bread? What does that mean? 
Because it's not like it's, I mean, it's, of course it's okay if, you know, we have, sometimes we have a lot and sometimes we have a little, you know, and sometimes we have a lot and it's okay to have a lot. So what's the point here? Um, there's actually a proverb that, that sheds some light on that. Here's what the proverb says. It's from Proverbs um, chapter 30. It says this, two things I ask of you, Lord. Two, two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. It's interesting. I mean, there's this idea of daily bread that, you know, sometimes, I mean, what the, what the proverb is saying is, is saying that sometimes if we have too much, we have the tendency to say, God, who are you? I'm good. I have everything I need. That's what happened with the Israelites when they moved into the promised land. Things, they got too big for their britches and they got big and powerful. And suddenly they're like, God, who, we don't need, who are you? We don't need you. We've got stuff now. But also on the flip side of that, the, the person writing this proverb says, yeah, but don't, but don't give me too little. Like if I don't get any bread, then I'm going to be desperate and I'm going to steal some stuff. You know, like that's what the, the psalmist is like. And I don't want to do that because I don't want to dishonor your name. And so God, give me, give me just enough. Give me just enough so that I can just be grateful for what you've given me today so that I don't fall into, into just having too much and cursing your name. And I don't fall into having too little and cursing your name. I want to honor your name. So give me just enough for what I need. It's a little bit of, of, uh, of, of what it means to have daily bread. But there's another practical thing about praying uh, for our daily bread. And I found this interesting. I found that one of the things that we can take away from us saying, Lord, give me my daily bread is... It, true, it really is true that God, that God really does care for your needs and he even cares for just your daily little needs. Like he, he, he really, those really do matter to him. Think about that. The, 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 your daily bread, just the things you need to survive, you know, your water, your food, your shelter, that, that, those sort of things that God really does care about those things. And as I was reading about this, I was reading about some of the early church fathers. They, they felt like Jesus can't certainly be talking about real bread because he wouldn't take this, like in the Lord's prayer, he wouldn't stoop to just talking about like measly old bread, you know, like, you know, just like your own like little needs of having bread. God wouldn't bother to pray for that stuff. He's talking about he certainly is talking about metaphorical bread, you know? And so they do a lot of writing, those early church fathers, about how, you know, he can't mean real bread. He's got to be meaning like some metaphorical bread. But then as I continue to read, I just saw that, I saw that then other voices are coming into the mix and saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is, sure, there's a medical, metaphorical part of what Jesus is talking about here. But you know what? He really does want us to take our daily needs. Lord, I'm struggling with this today. Lord, I need you today. Lord, I have pain today. Lord, I'm hungry today. That he really does want us to bring those things to him. Why? Because he cares about them. Because he cares about them. Because he cares about you. He really does care about you. And so he cares about your needs. And so it's a, what a beautiful thing that he's inviting us to just bring even, the thi- even little things. And sometimes when we pray little things, we're like, oh God, you know, you, you, do you really care about this stuff? I should be praying bigger prayers. And I feel like the Lord said, no, 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 keep it coming. No, I, I, I care. I care. Bring them to me. And then there's another thing too, is practically we have to remember that when we pray this part, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It reminds us not only to lift up our needs, but the needs of others as well. 
I read a book by another guy named Philip Keller. He says this, it's impossible to pray for our daily bread or for tomorrow's bread today without being horribly aware of the millions who didn't have bread yesterday, who didn't have any today and are unlikely to have any tomorrow either. That this prayer is is inviting us to pray for our daily needs, but it's also inviting us to remember that there are many there are many who aren't, aren't gonna get those daily needs met today. And so we, we come alongside them, we pray for them and we pray with them. Here's another quote by N.T. Wright. He says this, but in addition, we should be praying this prayer, not just for the hungry, but with the hungry and all who are desperate for whatever deep need. We should see ourselves as we pray the Lord's prayer as part of the wider Christian family and human family standing alongside the hungry and praying in that sense on their behalf. We offer ourselves in this prayer as representatives, as a royal priesthood, turning into words the unspoken prayer from thousands of hungry folk in our own country and millions around the world, turning it into words that plead with our heavenly father to feed the hungry, to care for the desperate. And when we have prayed in that fashion, the test of whether we were, since we were sincere will of course be whether we are prepared to stand physically alongside those for whom we have claimed to speak. This is after all a dangerous and subversive prayer to pray, but it's that, it's that one, that, but it's one that Jesus has taught us to pray. So that prayer of give us this day our daily bread, it's, it's multifaceted. It's for our needs. He cares. It's for other, others' needs. And as the band comes back up, we're going to respond. I just, there's, one last, there's one last piece about Jesus saying, give us this day our daily bread. Um, there's another part of the scriptures where Jesus says that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, it's, he's talking about real bread but he's also talking metaphorically about the thing that I ultimately need and the thing that you ultimately need. Because you could have all the bread in the world and at the end of the day, at the end of your life, it, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of your life, bread won't save your life. There's only one thing. There's only one thing that has the power to be that thing that you and I ultimately need, the thing that you ultimately are searching for in your life. And guys, we are so good at looking for that thing that we're searching for with our whole life and trying to look in all sorts of other places to try to find it. You try to find it in your worth at your job. I try to find it in the things that I can own, the things that I can accumulate. We try to find it in a relationship here, a relationship there. We try to find and quench that ultimate longing that we have where we're truly hungry for bread, but we think it's this bread and this bread and this bread. And Jesus in this prayer invites us to say, would you pray this? Would you pray? Give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus wants us to see that the thing that we ultimately need is that it's him. He's the bread of life. When Jesus was with his disciples and the Passover meal, before he was about to go to the cross, he said, hey, let's grab this bread, everybody. They grab the bread and they say, he says, here's what I want you to do with this bread. I want you to, to break off a piece. He says, I want you to remember that this is my body that was broken for you. Take it and eat it. Remember me. 
every time you come back to this meal. And then he took the wine and he put it in the cup and he said, guys, remember that this is like, it's like my blood poured out for you. Every time you come to this meal, and when you drink it, remember it, my life is being poured out for you. And guys, what is bread, by the way? What do you do? You take grain and what do you do? You crush it. It gets crushed. And then it gets mixed into some other things and then it goes into the fire, metaphorically or, or physically, whatever, you know what I mean. It goes into the oven, it goes into the fire. And it gets heated up and it rises and it, be it becomes something different. And then what do you do? You take it out and it's this beautiful, wonderful thing. And then, and then what do you do when you're gonna consume it? It gets, gets torn. And Jesus is saying, I'm your daily bread. I'm your daily bread. There's, your job will not die for you, but I will. Your money will not die for you and put itself on the line for you, but I will. The best of relationships are wonderful things, but none of it is gonna be the thing that satisfies you and fills you like I will. Jesus says, would you just come to me? I'm the bread of life. And so uh, just as we close this sermon series on the Lord's prayer, we're gonna say it again at the end. And I just pray that as we continue to say this prayer, that all these different facets, all these things will just, it will just fill us as we continue to say this prayer week after week after week, and that it would form us and make us new. And it would push us into new depths and it would just, it would propel us into, into uncharted waters that we've never been to before. And so as we, as we respond, I just want, the band's gonna sing and and I'm gonna invite you to respond. And one of the ways that you can respond is there's communion right here on either side of the stage. You can come up and there's this, you can, there's a little cracker in there and it represents Christ's body that was broken for us. The bread of life that gives life to the whole world. And the juice represents his blood that was poured out for us. And if that's where your heart beats, then I invite you just to bring it into yourself deeper and do, let it do a couple things. Let it ask, let it search your heart tonight. Let it search your heart. Like, Lord, am I holding unforgiveness towards someone? Let it go there. Is there anything I need to do to cancel debts? Lord, I don't wanna say, I don't wanna say, Lord, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors, and yet I have not forgiven my debtors. Maybe he wants to reveal that in you so that you could have life because it's tearing you apart. I don't know how we need to respond. But, um, but I'm inviting us to respond. So here's what we'll do. Um, Johanna, um, we were talking about how to finish this, this sermon series and just talking about just how to finish tonight. And I was, I was thinking about what song we should sing. And jo Johanna said, hey, I, I wrote a song. Could I sing it? And I said, yeah, let's sing it. And so Johanna wrote a song that she's gonna sing for us. And it's not necessarily, it's, you, you don't know it because none of us have heard it. And so you're not supposed to chime in with it necessarily, but the words are gonna be on the screen. I just want it to just sink into us. What she's done is she's taken Psalm, um, Psalm 18, right? Psalm 18 and just used all the words and turned it into a song. And I just pray that it would just cut deep, just let it just rest on us. And then, uh, and then as they continue to sing, we're gonna sing another song after that and the lights will be down. And I just invite you, stand, sit, just find a spot in the room, come take communion whenever you're ready. But let, could we just respond and just ask the Lord to search our hearts tonight? Can we do that? Give me an amen or a, a, a nod or a something. Could, could we do it? Yeah, let's do it. Jesus is alive. He wants to give us his life and his love. Father, we, um, we do respond tonight. You are the bread of life that was broken for us.
And so Lord, we come to you as the one who gives real bread and we come to the one who gives us the bread that ultimately all of us are searching for and the whole world is searching for. And so Jesus, we, um, we just, would you search our hearts tonight? Holy Spirit, fill this place. And would you just reach down deep, reach down deep into our unforgiveness, into our, into our desires for things that aren't gonna fill us like the bread of life can. Lord, we just pray that we would respond to you tonight and that you would deposit something fresh and new in us. Give us a new fire, give us, a new, give us new hearts, give us new desires. Lord, as we come back to this prayer over and over again, Lord, I pray that it would fill us with your life and with your truth. And so we respond tonight. In Jesus' name.